please remember to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. Please remember to share with your friends, your family members, your enemies, your co-workers, your aunts and uncles. Enjoy. That that's fair. A country is a geographical expression of war and colonization. That's that's all the country is. That is wow. Yeah man. Where's that from? Deep deep inside. Four subsidy removal. Um everything at the market tripling. I've been having some crazy thoughts lately. But yeah, that's that's from deep inside. Uh, that's that's no, that's that's you. That's, that's me. That's it. That's a TMT original. Oh, oh, oh baby! <laughs> and you guys be calling me the intellectual on this podcast. It's Tim Taro. It's Tim Taro. I'm just fronting. It's just supper. Supper makes everybody intellectual. Hey guys, welcome to the Dirty Lie Podcast, a podcast about facts, figures, and. Weird things from the past. I'm your host, Dez, and I'm here with... TMT. I hope you guys had a good Eid, a I, calm celebration. I hope you guys had fun. This was it was a very long week. I felt like I went on summer holiday, and now we're back to work. We're back to real life. Back to real life. How was your birthday, TMT? It was good. It was two weeks ago, though. Yeah, but we haven't done an episode since then. That's crazy. It was okay. Yeah, turning the age I turned is always—it's always interesting. Many people don't turn that age twice, but I did once, and I'm very proud of it. And I'm, I enjoyed myself. I had a quiet stay in Ibadan. You had a quiet stay in Ibadan. Mm-hmm. That's very awesome, sweet. It's my birthday, and the date this episode comes out. True. I am turning an age. Yeah. An uh, age of sorts. Very interesting one. Um, so, we're talking about... Today, we're going to talk... My facts are going to be about one man. Bukar, Lieutenant Colonel... Do I say Colonel or Colonel? Whatever you think is. I would say Colonel. I'll say Colonel. Male. Yeah. So, today, this episode, I'm going to give you guys facts about Lieutenant Colonel Buka. Suka Dimka. What's his name? Do you know what do you know about Dimka? Um, I know he is what well, he's a lieutenant, you know, lieutenant colonel in the Nigerian army, and uh, is or was was is is was I don't know. Um, I know he is very instrumental in certain parts of our history. Do you know a, what a, part? A key figure. Do you know what part? A military uprising. Do you know which one? Oh, there've been so many. They were, they were like they were like ten in like a solid three year span. So it's hard to. I don't know which one. Tell me about this one. Not this guy saying there were ten in a three year span. Um, so Dimka is, I would say. For people who just know a sprinkle, sprinkle of Nigerian history, Dimka is most known for... I need to stop saying sprinkle, sprinkle. This is proof that I'm too online. One sprinkle is enough. I just... Why, why is this in my lexicon? Um, So Dimka is mostly known because of the coup that bears his name. It's the failed Dimka coup. Um, 1976 coup that kills Murtala Mohammed. Mm. that is I would say like 
you know, Jim Kai is mostly known for the coup. In the coup industry, he's mostly known for... In the coup industry, um, Jim Kai is mostly known for the 76 coup that kills... Where Murtala Muhammad is assassinated. We've spoken about Murtala Muhammad on this podcast before. Um, he was assassinated about two weeks after he gave that very... The Africa's... What was it? The rousing speech. Yeah, the rousing speech is like, Africa has come of age. The Africa yeah. has come of age speech at the AU meeting in Ethiopia. So, yeah, about two weeks after, you know, he comes home, he's riding around Lagos in his black Mercedes with no law of security, and he gets, he gets killed. He gets assassinated. Demka goes on the radio, does his little announcement, and, um, yeah, coup fails. Obasanjo takes over from Murtala Muhammad. Obasanjo was his deputy. Um, so that is how also Obasanjo comes into power. Mm-hmm. But Demka really cut his coup teeth in the 66 counter coup. Mm-hmm. The July counter coup. So our first ever coup was the January 15th one in 1966, which was perceived as the Igbo coup that was led by Nziogu. And you then had like the Northern counter coup in July. Mm. That's where you have a lot of guys cutting their teeth, really. You have Babangida, Abacha, Bohari, Dimka. Mm. That's, the, that's the cutting of the teeth. Coup. The, the that's formative years yeah. in coup. Mm-hmm. And at this point, like, in 66, Dimka is about 25 years old. Mm. So, you know, we talk about how these were young guys. <laughs> I guess I would want you to say that by the time he does the second one in 76, he's just in 30-something. He's a young lad. I mean, maybe 36 seems young now because I'm old. But, um, <laughs> he's, you know, it's it's not... It's not the age people imagine that these guys were doing coups in, at the age of 25. Mm-hmm. What were you doing when you were 25? Yeah, 25. I wasn't doing much. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie to you. You were overthrowing governments. I was overthrowing the government. I was working though. You know, I was um, trying to stand on my own two feet as a man. So <laughs> I guess, you know, when you compare me and a military general, who are planning a colonel or a lieutenant. Mm. It's somewhat compa- comparable in terms of temperament. <laughs> Certainly not ambition, but... Um... In terms of temperament. Okay, so my facts today, I've given you guys a little bit of background. I'll give more background. Let's get the facts out of the way. Let's keep this interesting, exciting. I honestly ended up on this topic because I have been obsessed with the 76 coup for a very long time. Mm. Like the conspiracy theories about it was the CIA and like, you know, how did Alessandro escape, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm obsessed with that coup. I really wish people would like, someone should do a movie on it. Mm. But I have avoided talking about it. But then, you know what happened? What? Russia happened. Oh, yeah, last week. Yeah, there was like a little, are we cooing? Are we not going on in Russia? <laughs> to cool or not to cool? To cool or not to cool going on in Russia. And it reminded me of the Demka coup also because of the amount of people who have quote unquote 
fallen out of windows in Russia mm. since the invasion of Ukraine. Mm. Like, there were people who used to fall out of windows, you know, Russian, ex-Russian guys in London. You know, if feel sprinkle, sprinkle, I need to stop saying this thing, <laughs> but sprinkle back. But yeah, journalists and, and they, experts. Yeah, but it's really... The speed at which Russians are falling out of windows in the last year, it's picked up. <laughs> Somebody. So I was thinking about coups, I was thinking about windows, which led me, of course, to Dimka. Because Dimka and windows, <laughs> I don't know why, but mm. they are one on one. <laughs> so <laughs> let's get you today's facts. Your first two facts are about windows. I'm sorry. Fact one. Um, after the failed coup in Lagos, Lieutenant Colonel Dimka jumped out of a window in the radio station where he had given the announcement and escaped and was chased from Lagos all the way up to Benue. Did he stop for fuel or was he just... Yeah, there's a stop for fuel... The people, well, the people chasing had to stop for fuel before he did. Mm. And they were chasing and shooting all the way up. And then they lose him. But I'm not going to say, just, that's just your fact. Mm-hmm. Two, Lieutenant Colonel Dimka, after escaping this chase, first window, not only second window, <laughs> after escaping this chase, gets to... A hotel, local hotel slash brothel, and asks for a prostitute. Well, asks for a lady, and they bring a prostitute, and he said, no, he wants a lady. Mm. So they bring another girl to come and, you know. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, there's a national manhunt going on for this guy. Mm-hmm. And he's selecting prostitutes. <laughs> in the process of this, the prostitute he rejects tells the prostitute goes back and says the guy who just rejected me is the dim car you people are looking for <laughs> so the military pull up on this hotel and surround it he jumps out of the window okay <laughs> escapes mm-hmm. that's second fact and your third fact is that in the first coup i want you to know that like the reason why the hotel staff ETC were looking for like looking out for Dimka is because intelligence reports said that my man likes drink and he likes prostitutes. He likes babes and bosom. <laughs> so don't go and look for him in hiding in one church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tell the babes He's in the streets. Yeah, tell the babes in the streets to look out for him. Mm-hmm. But the third fact is that one of the agitations that precedes this 66 counter coup is that Dimka is arrested by General Gwimudia, mm-hmm. who is a southerner, is a Bendel, man from Bendel region. And Dimka is obviously a northerner. This is in the post, post uh, was seen then mm-hmm. as like the evil coup, right? And he is arrested for being drunk, breaking curfew, and trying to break into some place in the base. Like he's he's just a twenty five year old drunk guy, mm. and like one of the things that leads to the riots in Kaduna is the fact that Ugwemudia arrests Dimka for breaking troop movements and being 
drunk. Mm. So these are your facts. And that leads to a riot. It's one of... Because imagine, like, we'll talk about it, but yeah, yeah. Okay, so my first fact is jumping out of radio station window. Mm-hmm. Jumping out of brothel window. Mm-hmm. And the third one is his unruliness led to riots. Yeah, it's one of the, one of the like, what do you call it? Driving factors. One of those factors. Well, I mean, the jumping window one, because there are two, I feel like I have to eliminate one of them. Okay. So I'm going to take out, um, I'm going to take out the radio station. I'm going to, the radio station is my answer because the other two sound realistic. Um, yeah, military. Every time there's a military crew, guess. The guys go make radio station now. Mm-hmm. But having to jump out of the window is just... That's the part that kind of throws me off. But they failed crews when they come on. So. No, I get that. I get that. But see, you just, you've just, been to radio stations. You're, you're just walking out from... Like you're just going to walk out. I don't get why he has to jump out of the window. I mean, Fair. even if he's surrounded. And the idea of him... Jumping out of like a hotel slash brothel is... And escaping is crazy to me. Mm-hmm. So you're going with your theory of the crazy ass sounds. I feel like the radio one, he'd be more prepared. Fair. You know? Like the brothel one, I can see him being disheveled, just jumping out. Fair. And the last one. Yeah, the last one seems realistic to me. It just seems like something that people would get in arms over, especially because of how tense things were at the time, tribe-wise. Yeah. So if you put like a prominent northern officer in jail, I could see that leading to Wahala. unrest. Fair. You got it. Correct. I got it right. Yes. Oh, yeah. Let's go. High five. High five. There we go. Doing well. Thank you. Yeah, I made up that radio one on the spot. I thought you'd be able to tell. I couldn't tell. I was just like, I was like, I didn't think of a lie. <laughs> <laughs> because I was just getting into the history. I told you, I really, no, I really... You know, like, do you ever have, do you have, like, your anchor history stories that, like, just anchor you into your love of history? hmm Yeah, this is one of them for me. I don't know why. That era, mm. that 66 to 85 era, I just find it crazy, man. Those 20 years, things are really popping off. It was Game of Thrones out here. Yeah, it was, it was for real Game of Thrones out here. And as, like, they say, power is power. Something I find f- not funny, but, again... When you read, like, I read some primary sources, some entries into, like, first-person first accounts, what people wrote in their books or... Their journals. Their journals. And, like, these guys were, like, quoting Macbeth and, like, Shakespeare. And, I mean, Macbeth and Shakespeare is the same thing. But, sorry, they're quoting Macbeth. They'll talk about, like, Caesar and Etu Brutus and whatever. Like, I'm just like, bro, I just can't imagine any politician we have right now just I'm having the, literature i don't know how to say this also you know they were sending these guys to sandhurst and places like that so. yeah so dimka even actually got trained in australia yeah, okay, I see. yeah so he was one of the first guys to go and train with um the australian army and he was commissioned as a second lieutenant from the australian army school in portsea mm. Uh, I think, actually, yeah, he was one of the first. Him and another guy called Boniface Ikeju, Ikeju mm. were apparently the first two Nigerian army officers. And they trained in Australia. 
with cadets from Australia, New Zealand, Malaysia, the Philippines, and the Pacific Islands. So this is like the pre, like the Commonwealth guys, you know, because at this point we're still, we're still mm, just independent, 63. But still not super far well, from the British. Yeah, like um, as OBJ said, we got flag independence, no actual independence. At this point, we're just three years in. We haven't even figured out how uh, the dynamics of our system. So yeah, this is a 23-year-old chap. He is a Nolan officer and he was a lieutenant with the Nigerian Military Training College in Kaduna. He was with a lot of names that you'd remember. Not that you'd remember, but like he was like with Buari and Abacha Abibi. Yeah, I'm saying like they're not just like names that you remember, but like key players mm-hmm. in our nation's history. Mm-hmm. My brother sent me the craziest picture. Pictures. My brother sent me this picture with Baba Gin- with Bisala, Obasanjo, Mertala, T.I. Danjuma, Lawal, Abacha, Jogaba, Dimka, Gowon, Yardua, and Akiri Adi. Can I see it? Are they, how, how old are they, do you think? Uh, bro, these are, this is... Wow, yeah. I do see. So, yeah. These are twins. This is a, this is a high school graduation picture. Bro, no, I think this is them. I think this is this must have been them in military training college. It's it's like a class picture. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we'll try and we'll we'll put this somewhere. But it's like a class picture and like you know the shortest guys are in front. <laughs> Where's <laughs> Obi? See at the back. See 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 Baba. See Baba is in front now. It's a large man. He's not large. He just has a bit of a stomach on him. No, I mean like he has not. I don't even mean fat. I mean he's always been like big. Oh, yeah. Like strong. Yeah. He's always had like a... It's broad shoulders. Mm. You know, this is the one thing. The only consistent thing in my spec. Am I about to lie? (laughs) He's broad shoulders. Yeah. I feel like broad shoulders makes a man look quite powerful. Mm. And like he can protect me. You know? Yeah, OBJ looks like he can protect everyone. Any and everyone. Yeah. Okay. So the thing is, right, let's... Should we get into this? Let's, let's get into Let's it. get into this. Because I kind of... I remixed that first story because it was... Sorry. It's happened to someone before. It's, it's someone else. Was it him? Was it was him that was chasing Ugwemudia, basically in retaliation for that arrest. Mm. And he chased him from Kaduna to, like, um, Ibado. Mm-hmm. Bro, and, like, so, okay, I'm trying to think about how I do this properly, and I think I should just do this, like, story-wise. Because I, I know you guys want the gist of this. Bro, they chased him, they were shooting. Wemudia went in the clothes of his body, had a semi-machine <laughs> gun, mm-hmm. a machine gun hooked onto his Land Rover and drove by himself. And he was being chased by Dimka and a whole truck, a truckload of predominantly northern soldiers who were sporadically shooting along the way. What kind of goes to show you how far Nigeria has regressed because there's no road that can <laughs> it Nigeria it felt much smaller in the sixties and seventies. Yes, because we had roads. Yeah. It's so it's so strange. Because let me tell you something now, there is no way like when I read it, I had to keep re reading this story in different sources because 
my reality is such that somebody cannot chase me from Ikui to Leki without catching me. Like, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, it's true. Like, even, like, you know what I'm saying? The roads are terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, somebody is going to some, like, unless one of us has accident, mm-hmm. there's just no way you're telling me that we're just speeding mm-hmm. and I just have to keep making sure I'm moving faster than you. What? Even on a Sunday night. Bro, is there any road that somebody can take now from Kaduna to even Abuja and say, I mean, I know they just built roads, but like, come on. Like, it's not. And another thing for me that's really crazy is like part of why the Demkaku in 76, I probably should not call it the Demkaku, but I will. It just (laughs) just makes more sense. He's the one who gave the radio address. And but he is arguably just was not the brains behind the operation. But he would want you to call him Kirkwood, especially at that point in time. I mean, now that he was killed over it, perhaps, at least let my name ring, live on. But the thing about it is that, like, the part of why it failed is that, oh, like, Ibadan was a very important position. Lagos was his own important position. Kaduna was his own important position. And, the East, like, the... We had like regional powerhouses and positions, not just militarily, but like, like Nigeria now just seems scattered. Do you know? I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. If, if someone says, okay, you need to have Lagos and like, if somebody wants to do a coup now or whatever, like, I feel like somebody can just go to Asurok and just switch over. <laughs> it's true. There's no power has now been just swallowed into the center and mm. like it's mm. weird it's just i don't know it's just, i don't know if i'm making sense I'm making okay let's first start with the jan our first ever coup in january 15th 1966 i mean i think it's january 15th could i be can be january 12th though mm-hmm. it's january 1966 um mm-hmm. uh, whose nickname was kaduna i believe and he spoke also um Enziogu gets on the radio and it's like, yo, us young radicals have done a little coup. Now, <clears throat> so in 1966, in our first ever coup on the 15th of January 1966, citing a laundry list of complaints about the political class and corruption, there was a military rebellion in Nigeria brought against the First Republic. Now, these officers were predominantly of Eastern origin, led by Nziogun. There was one... What's the Yoruba The I want to say that um, the Yoruba guy... I should not say the Yoruba guy. I should say his name. <laughs> okay. So, the guys who led this, this coup, or who are, are seen as the leaders of the coup, is Chukuma Nziogun. Emmanuel Ifejuana, Timothy Mutwegu, Chris Anufo, Donokafo, Humphrey Chukuka, and Adewale Ademoyega. Mm. Now, as you can hear from that list, they are predominantly of Eastern origin. Mm. I just want to say that Ademola, Adewale Ademoyega does have a book called Why We Struck. Mm. where he explicitly says it was not due to tribal reasons. However, this coup has very serious ramifications. Mm. You have predominantly young, I believe, young Eastern soldiers of Eastern origin 
and you end up with a dead prime minister, federal minister, Sharduna of Sokoto, two reg- like two regional premiers, along with top army officers who were assassinated. Mm. A number of civilians were also killed. Now, no Eastern individual lost their life. No Easterner lost their life. At this point in time, the president was Namdi Azikwe, and he was out of the country. Mm. None of the Easterners in the senior levels of government lost their lives, and the and Aguiri Ronsi, who was in Lagos, which was very important, was the only regional commander at that point who did not lose his life, and he was also an Easterner. So... The coup succeeds in Kaduna, but it fails in Lagos. And it fails in Lagos partly because Agui once he wasn't killed. And he was like obviously senior to these these guys, Lindsay Oguanko. Mm. So if it succeeds in Kaduna, fails in Lagos, Agui Ronti now has to, you know, start fighting these rebels who are quickly control. Yeah. Now this perception of that first coup as the Eastern coup, the Igbo coup, the Jan, Jan 15 Igbo plot, the death of the Sarduna, 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 Sarduna of Sokoto. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce these things. Just pick mm. one pronunciation and just stick to your guns. Yes. Nice. And apart from that also, the highest ranking pres- person in government at that time the Senate president was also an Easterner, he's also an Igbo man. And instead of handing over to Dipcharima, um, Dip a politician of northern origin, as acting prime minister, he was the most senior minister and he was a Borno man, I believe. Instead of the Senate president like handing over to him mm. as a prime minister, because Senate president obviously becomes acting president. It's because Namdi Azikwe is yeah. in London. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was London. He hands over power to General Agri Ronsi, who is also of Eastern origin. You can just imagine the optics and the tension at this point in time. Now, it can be very much argued that Orizu, who was the Senate president, it was acting president, Nwafo Orizu, was did not voluntarily hand over to Agri Ronsi. Agri Ronsi was like, as you can imagine, at this point, like this is our first coup, so we're six years into democracy, but like Nigerians, we didn't have like pre, we didn't have like armed conflict going into independence, right? So this is a very new experience for everybody. So everyone is thinking, okay, they tried to coup. Lagos is the capital. They've tried this coup. They failed. Um, you crush them, and like we go on business as usual. Like there's no, there's no, there's not yet an idea of we're now going into a military system in Nigeria, and this really shifts when Agui Ronsi holds on to power. In Shagari's book, Sheo Shagari's book, Beckon to Serve, he talks about what happens during this period. He was an NPC minister. Diptrama was NPC. This is a coalition government where you have NPC and NCNC. Um, the NCNC guys wanted Badule, I believe, mm. to be prime minister. But NPC had more numbers, and they're like, y'all are the minority, you're not choosing. And 
at that point also, I think there was some type of sensibilities as they're getting news that who 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 is who is being killed, right? They're they're having some sort of Shagari is like NPC is like we need the most senior northern guy at this point to take over. Just you know, like it's not how it's gonna go. So they all go for this. Like, they're meeting in Lagos. They're going back and forth. Diptrama apparently, like, rides a bicycle to come and meet them. Like, this is this is back in the day, bro. <laughs> and Agri-Rossi comes to meet with these, like, politicians and government officials, ministers, etc. So they're politicking amongst themselves, discussing. They've settled on Diptrama. They're like, okay. And Orizu says, I just need, like, an official letter or whatever. And Agri-Rossi comes, calls them aside. At this point, they find out that Kutiebo and Awadibelo are dead. Mm. According to Shagari, at this point, Mbadiwe just starts crying. It's just like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Agri-Rossi comes with his military guys and he's like, I can't quell this thing without having complete power. So just it. And he ends up first military ruler. Mm-hmm. This sets the stage for the counter-coup because the coup succeeds in Kaduna and you have some very serious, respected northern elders killed, including Tadjuna Sabatu, Madubelu. It succeeds in the north. It fails in Lagos, but in the north, those young soldiers who were there experienced this coup. It would be six months later in July when they strike back. And Dimka was this hothead, likes to drink, likes the girls. Very like, I'm a northerner, I've been spited, and I'm going to bite back. And in the midst of the tensions, and as you can imagine, things are tense. Like, guys don't know, like, apparently, there was one, there was one time in the train station in Kaduna when they were loading, like, wood, timber, mm-hmm. and people mistook it for gunshots and soldiers started running into like in separate spaces like so that has gone one way, no that has gone one way because they literally, they thought it was train shot and they thought it was gunshots from the timber like falling or something like they thought like something else was happening and they're like, whose turn is it now? Like which one of us are going to go? It, it was like something had kind of fractured them very deeply so things were tense. Any small thing is like something is going to pop off, something is going to pop off. Now, what pops off? My man, Dimka, likes a drink. Now, because of this tension, there were rules about troop movements, like curfews, ECC, you know. So it's kind of like on the base, you can't go out after this time, you can't do this, you can't do that. And there were also, I think they were also trying to, kind of keep people from scheming because mm. now there is this idea very scary but important shift in nigeria that if i take down one or two in key position i will now be head of this whole country mm-hmm. like no i don't need a war i don't need a conflict i just need tactical assassinations mm-hmm. To become, it's it's really a, a big shift from because you know what's going on in the world right now. You have like full scale conflicts, mm-hmm. right? But these coups are tactical, and also it's going against this chain of commanding, right? Where like 
So anyways, you have, so people are talking and the guys in charge, you have Abakiari, um, you have Hassan, and you have Uwemudia. These are like the guys in charge in, and like in, of these young lads in Kaduna. So they're putting them on curfew and ETC. So apparently the governor, Lieutenant Colonel Hassan Katsina, was away on tour and he had his ears on the ground. Like they had intelligence and they've said that they had like, basically people were basically saying that Dimka was moving from room to room, house to house of Northern officers passing on messages, breaking curfew. Two nights before like the events of July Popov, Dimka is arrested in a drunken state trying to break into the armory. This is the guy who has been spotting going from house to house of Northern officers. He is arrested based off of information apparently that Hassan had already given Ogumudia, like, watch out for that Dimka boy. Mm-hmm. But boy, he's not. Like, watch out. And Ogumudia is Dimka's superior. Ogumudia arrests Dimka. He's drunk, drunk, trying to break into the armory, which just, I just feel like that's something you do sober. Like, military just seems like they will kill you. So, like, maybe do something sober. Anyways, he's drunk. He tries to break into the armory. Ogwemudia arrests him. Mm -hmm. Dimka complains while he's being interrogated that he is being mistreated by Ogwemudia because he's a northerner. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those immediate hands-off things. Ogwemudia is like, okay, now I I have to free him. He's like, they're doing this to me because I'm a northerner. Mm -hmm. And Ogwemudia is like, things are too tense. Like... I can't. Yes, powder keg type situation. And he gets released and the agitation just is time to pop off. Mm. Now, apparently, like, before this, they had even already held some southerners. Because on on that weekend, on that weekend as well, there was so much like going on and being said that when um, Hassan had gone on tour, northern officers were afraid that he wouldn't return. Like there were rumors that Agri was going to off him <laughs> when he went to Lagos. So when Hassan comes back, like he actually has to order his ADC, whose name is Ugokwe, not to step out of the plane before him. Because he was just like, you're an evil man. Like, lest you be shot on sight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I have, like, he literally told his security detail, don't even go outside first because they might shoot you. That's how tense things were. Mm-hmm. And this was like, see, this is all happening on the same weekend. So you can just imagine the way things are tense. Trees can't fall <laughs> without uh, people jumping. With what you know about, was this a tension that the entire country could feel? Or was it just military, amongst military guys? I think it's a tension that everyone can feel, but it's definitely heightened in military quarters in a way that probably would not mm. in... Cause I mean, I'm sure they had civilian friends, so they could, they could feel something. Not just civilian friends, but the political elite are never mm. completely removed from coups, mm. right? Mm. It's, it's something that's often discussed, but I don't have historical like i can't show you people uh, sources right now but people often like are like you know some coups are funded by private individuals like there is a handshake i can't remember which general i was reading but he talks about it might have been timka but he talks about this handshake 
between military and political elite where sometimes like they help each other influence changes mm. like even some people even argue as that the 76 Dimka coup mm. had a lot to do with like some political like you know pol- like political elite who are trying to get back in or trying to miss us like mm. so there's a lot of tension but because i would say like because of this tribal element, and there are other things going on that are just um, they're evil. There's southern soldiers being locked up in the north. Like there's there's a lot going. There's like a there's a sense of something is going to pop off. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the whole country felt it. I feel like I would. I don't know because I focus mostly on military sources and like from the military sources. But to be fair, actually, no. I like, like, I was reading the journal entry of an, a diplomat mm. who was in, it wasn't even in the country, he was at the UN, and he was talking about blood begets blood. What do you think? Like, do you think everyone would have been tense? Well, I think, I think most people in the military had civilian friends who are players in certain regards, some of them in politics, some of them in just business, contracting, this and that. So I think the military class and their friends, their ilk, that whole community, in a sense, felt it the hardest. And then doctors and lawyers felt it last. <laughs> By the time those ones felt it, things were already in place. By the time those ones felt it, the other coup had happened. <laughs> no, so um, in his book, No Place to Hide, Cries and Conflicts Inside Biafra, Bernard Udogu he was a Nigerian diplomat at the UN mm. during the coup, and he later becomes the chief of Biafran intelligence. He he reveals that shortly after the coup, he was with a fellow diplomat called Adamu Mohammed, who's northern Nigerian, obviously, and that they were at the UN in New York, and they were discussing, and they said, you know, like, we had a frank discussion about, basically, these young guys, these... If, They've messed up. <laughs> like, the optics are just terrible on this one. Mm-hmm. It's a very, it looks very one-sidedness, the, and it looks like the killings were very selective, mm-hmm. you know. And he quotes Macbeth and says, <laughs> and they say, blood will have blood. I shudder at the possible aftermath of this folly committed by our boys in khaki. This is a Yes. I trust him. He's just definitely the type to quote Macbeth. It's so scary because he's just there, like, writing in his journal, his notebook, like, the chain of reactions that are about to come. (laughs) Bro. And do you think at that point anyone would have imagined the turmoil and the back and forth that's going to go on for the next 30 odd years? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or the civil war? Truly scary stuff. So, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm sure there are people who, thinking people who were looking at the newspapers and looking at what was going on and just thinking, mm, okay, this doesn't look right. This doesn't look right. Like, this does not look like it's going to end well for anybody. You know? And he also talks about how there were rumors, even in New York, amongst diplomatic circles, that the January 15th coup was an a grand Igbo design in order to make a way for Igbo domination for the whole country. But this is this is Ojogu saying this. Um, and I imagine, like, for him, that must be just, like, really, really tense and a very scary position to be in, where it's just, like, 
these tribal agitations are being brought to the forefront in a way that they probably haven't necessarily... I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. Like, they're... Um, and he also says, as for the new man at the helm of affairs, Major General Aguirre-Ronsi, he too, like the majority of the majors, is an Igbo. And that will not help matters. Mm. So, yeah. So, I feel like diplomatic circles, political circles, and there was definitely tension. And honestly, the general public then was just way more intelligent than we are now. Mm. <laughs> so, I imagine anyone thinking is thinking, this isn't over. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyways, this is the tension, and yeah, man, Dimka is drinking and plotting and angry, <laughs> and Obimudia arrests him for trying to break into an armory drunk, which I think is a very valid reason to arrest someone. Mm-hmm. And I think the next weekend or that exact same weekend is when the July '66 coup happens. Mm-hmm. Right. They call it the counter coup. They call it the coup of July 66. It's our second coup. That's when you have very young Harry, IBB, you know, Tidanjuma, I believe. But mostly northern guys say, okay, now it's our turn. And what happens then is really, for me, is nearly more depressing than the first one. Mm. Like the first one is like, like seeing, because obviously we have the benefit of being born years after this happening, and we we just we saw where everything went, and so obviously that first one is very depressing. Like I just imagine what would have happened if that day, the you know they agree once he just handed over to Duchama, like he just maintained his position as an army general, and government was not broken because the coup failed. You know, as your goal didn't come into power like it was a failure but then it did worse than you could imagine because then it it begets as he that love blood begets more blood and the 66th counter coup the lucky southern soldiers were the ones who were locked who were just arrested you had southern soldiers being killed you had apparently what some soldiers claimed was retribution for the southern for them just six months earlier celebrating the death of the Sardona of Sokoto and celebrating the death of their leaders in the north. Um, some of them were even led to to the portraits of the late Sardona to like gaze at him in awe and honor him before they were killed. So this was like a very you have Obasanjo escapes and a few southern guys escape. And Umimutia escapes because he is warned beforehand by Abakiari and Hassan Katina, who are obviously of northern extraction. But again, I think it's very important. To, something that helps me understand this period a bit more is that these guys who are helping their fellow guys escape slightly older, mm. they're, they're a bit higher up. You know. like two, or three or four years. No, 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 no. I would say more, a bit more significant, like maybe 10, 10 like, so maybe then they're, maybe then their thirties instead of their twenties. Okay. But yeah, this is when the famous Ugwemudia chase happens. So let me tell you how General Ugwemudia escaped death. On the other call, Ugwemudia, um, so Ugwemudia recalls that the day started out well, even though things were tense, but then it became to become increasingly ten- tense as the day went on mm-hmm. like the uh, fresh prince of brother theme song 
You don't even know what that means. In West Philadelphia, born and raised, and I'm playing on where I spent most of my days chilling, relaxing, you know, like he's having a normal day, and then, and then a couple just... of guys that are up to no good. Uh... Start making trouble in our democracy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, Tim, you're really naturally funny. Thank you. It's it's such a gift. <laughs> so yeah, things are getting tense. Guys are starting to make trouble, and news is filtering in from the south and initially they didn't know if it was a northern counter coup or if it was like a rumored so-called radical plan 15 Igbo coup because there was this idea that that coup of january which had failed that the Igbo there would be Igbo radicals who come and complete it right so that that was that was another tension going on in the military was that the Igbo guys who didn't finish their plan, I'm going to finish it. Like, so also, you know, does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. So at that point in time, they don't really know what's going on. Even the New York Times originally reported that radical Igbo officers right. were trying to take over from Aguirre Monty. So the anxiety it, was everywhere. The anxiety was everywhere. Like, they weren't entirely sure what was going on. But as the, you know, and at this point in time, they're also trying to guard the armory and stuff like that so mm-hmm. that things don't really pop off. But then some guys don't want to disarm. Some guys are scared to disarm. Some guys are like, it's not us. It's going to be the other guys. You know, so you can imagine this going on and mm-hmm. he's trying to um, keep things in control. Mm-hmm. And even though he was subsequently accused in Eastern publications of chairing like private tribunals that condemned Igbo soldiers to death. At this point, Abakiari was apparently trying to save the lives of many Southern officers. And Abakiari um, was trying to save lives of men in in Kaduna who are Southern. Mm-hmm. Some of them are Igbo, some of them are Yoruba, doesn't matter. Like, they're trying to save the lives of men in Kaduna and including... Sergeant Major Ugwemudia. Mm. Um, so now they tell Ugwemudia, like, bro, Dimka has personal beef with you. <laughs> it's not even just like you're just a southerner who needs to escape. Like, you need to get. <laughs> like, if he was tipped off and they said, escape now. Because mm. Dimka is coming to collect. Because you were just interrogating him the other day. Mm. And he was like, you are doing this because I'm a northerner. And now they're saying there's a northern counter coup telling you to get out of the north immediately. He has nothing on him. He has his clothes, his car, and a submachine gun. <laughs> so they give him a Land Rover with the submachine gun and he speeds out of town, like, immediately. They don't have military plates, at least. They have military license, please. I'm sure they did. It's a military land rover with a yeah. submachine gun. I'm sure you have a military license paper. I also don't think at that point, I'm not sure if there were yet any like checkpoints or anything. Well, and okay, he's, that's true. And he's leaving like the heat of the event at that point in time. Mm. Now he is he Tim Khan guys hear that Ogumudia is on his way out. Like he's pushing. So they jump into their own land rover. Mm-hmm. Grab their, their own submachine guns. Grab their own guns. <laughs> And a load of predominantly, I mean, I say predominantly not that social, I don't know if it was, they were, I think they were all not that social. <laughs> Start chasing Ogumudia from Kaduna. They followed him all the way to Owo in Undo State. Mm. From Kaduna mm. to Undo State. Shooting sporadically along the way. Um, they chased him all the way to Jeba. He barely, they chased him to Kontagora. He refused in Kontagora, by the way. They nearly caught up with him then. Because imagine, he leaves before them, but they are chasing him, they are shooting. Mm-hmm. 
he barely eludes them at a fuel station in Kuntagora. He has a very close call when they were crossing the Niger Bridge. They nearly catch up with him. They are shooting, chasing this guy. Let me tell you something. Some of these places I'm saying, I can't lie to you guys. I don't know where all of them are. But from Karuna till he gets to Ondo State, he runs out of fuel in Ondo State. Mm -hmm. And he abandons his vehicle and he scales a six-foot fence into thick jungle. Mm. At that point... They get to a jungle. This, <laughs> these northern lads get to the jungle in Undo State and they're like, <laughs> let's go back. Yeah. Like, we've, tr- like we've, tried. we've tried. We didn't get him, but there's a lot of fish. That, like, probably, it's probably Dimka pushing this pee in the car. Mm. I must get that man back. But now, at this point, he's jumped a fence into a jungle in Undo State and they're just like, bro. Free this pee. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go back to Kaduna and actually finish what we came here to do. So, yeah. And the crazy thing is that, like, Obamudia, apart from the fact that, I mean, it's so, this is the thing, because I'm also a Bendel girl. And it's so funny that Edo people or Delta people are either being tossed one way or the other, depending on who wants to toss us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someone will come and say, you're Western. Somebody will come and say, yeah, South, South. Like, you know, somebody will say, yeah, Eastern. Like, bro, people be tossing us anywhere they want to toss us. Now, Ogwemudia later hitched, like, hitchhiked back to Bini City, mm-hmm. laying low, moving from house to house until things cooled down. The thing is that Ogwemudia was actually Inziogu's deputy mm-hmm. at the NMTC, like the military, Nigerian Military Training College. And in January, he had been asked by Nziogu to take leave so that he would be out of station during the coup because he, Nziogu didn't trust Ogbemudia. So this idea of, like, he's part of... Like, they want to retaliate for him being part of this January coup is literally, like, he was not just part... He was not just not part. One, they didn't trust him. Mm-hmm. Two, they made sure he was on leave before they did their coup. Mm-hmm. Also, he considered moving against Enziogu when he discovered they were doing the coup at a roadblock mm. in January. But apparently he was with his sick daughter and he was just like... So Dimka was... Like, Dimka was convinced. Like, you were his deputy. Y'all used to roll together. Like, you were definitely part of the coup. Mm. Dimka was convinced that he was part of the coup. Obasanjo at one point in time was, I believe, like, Pastor Joe and Enziogu were very, very close. He wrote a book about Enziogu. And mm-hmm. I think they were roommates. I even, when I spoke to Pastor Joe, he brought him up. Mm. Huh? Fondly. Yeah, like, you know, he was talking about their time as 20-year-old guys in, in Congo. Mm. During the whole Patrice, you know, when they killed Patrice Lumumba, when Nigeria, we have Nigerian soldiers that are doing peacekeeping. Him and Enziogu were roommates. So I don't want to say fondly or not fondly, but I mean fondly. Everyone knows that yeah, they were, fondly, yeah, that they were, they were close. They each other. Yeah, you know, they both spoke Hausa. They were both Sonan guys. Like there was, so there's a lot there. But like, let's not go into it. But um, and so there is this paradox in the July counter coup of like a lot of Sonan guys who were against the coup or without knowledge of the coup get caught in this paranoia and in the violence and are killed. Mm. 
like guys who were against it. Some guys who even nearly died in that first coup, in that July coup, they were now killed. Sorry, the guys who nearly, there were guys who nearly died in January who were now killed in July. Like they nearly died for the fighting for the people. Like just really, no one wins in war and conflict and bloodshed. That's one thing I'll say. But yeah. This is how Ogumudia escapes. This is the end of the Ogumudia story because, yeah, that was a complete lie. Dimka was not the one who was running. He was the one who was doing the chasing. Mm-hmm. Funny, like, so Ogumudia becomes the military governor of um, Bendel mm-hmm. after the Civil War because the... <laughs> not funny. But the governor of Bendel, when it gets taken over when like then gets taken over during Biafra by the Eastern Biafran forces. He runs away on a bicycle. <laughs> so after the war they were like, Yeah, let's take the guy who was going to machine gun back home, not the guy who ran away on a bicycle. Like I think <laughs> I think we're gonna go with Mumudia here. So yeah, he ends up as uh, the the governor of military governor of Bendel State. But yeah, that's the end of that story. And let's go to the last story, which is Enziogu. I said Enziogu. Dimka prostitutes 10 years later. <laughs> 10 years later. This... <laughs> Honestly, like, when I first heard of this story, I just want you to know that... Sorry. When I first heard about this Dimka story, I just want you to know that there's nobody had life. Like Nigerian journalists. <laughs> the old ones who could write or the new ones who can't write? Both. <laughs> For different reasons. <laughs> because the old ones give you a picture. The old ones give you journalism in a very delightful way mm-hmm. of reading. The new ones give you Insta blogs. Sensation. Sensation. So the new, cause the first article I read, 1976 coup, how sex workers ruined Dimka's plan. I was like, what? And then I saw another one, I was like, inside. What, <laughs> what year was that school written? 2021. Hmm. And then I saw another one, I was like, inside the Love Lincoln Hotel, where Dimka met his match. <laughs> well, city people ask headlines. Bro, like. I was like, okay, inside, do you know the name of the hotel? What? The Friendship Hotel. Mm. Friendship and celebration. Bam, bam, bam. Oh my gosh. So, so let's talk about Friendship Hotel and and how Dimka was arrested in 1976. Let's go. So. Yeah. After the coup fails, after the coup to unseat the Murtala Mohammed regime fails mm-hmm. in 1960, 1976, mm-hmm. Dimka escapes and there is a nationwide manhunt for this man. <laughs> it is on the, you, you can imagine it's on the front news. Mm-hmm. Like, and Murtala's deputy, obviously, OBJ, rises to power. They were close. People are hurt. Muratella is a controversial figure, but I will say he was as loved as he was hated, perhaps. And obviously, like, it's still his people in power and they want to bring to justice this Dimka. Mm. And again, like, it's so bizarre to me because you see 
I mean, 10 years earlier, some of these guys are cooing against each other or cooing with each other. Mm. They're in barracks together. They live together. Their wives go to the market together. Their kids probably go to school together. Mm-hmm. And it's a situation of, like, this type of kill or be killed mm-hmm. must... This life or death. Bro, like, they must have had PTSD, right? Mm-hmm. Or, like, they must just have just lived a life that was just not balanced. Mm. Because Definitely of, the PTSD ones. Because I've heard stories from people like who grew up under military parents at that time and how jarring the 70s were for them. You know? Mm. And I actually, that's true because our parents would have, like our parents were. Those are, yeah, that's my parents. Like those my those da- are their formative years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Bro, how can we expect them to be normal? I mean, I'm not <laughs> Nah, they've seen too much. They've seen too much. They've seen too much. Like, honestly, reading about it feels too much, but they've seen it. It's, it's actually so scary. Sometimes I feel bad if I'm like, ah, my parents beat me or my parents don't understand I'm having mood. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because what type of life are they living, bro? What type of life are they living? <laughs> like, sometimes you look at, like, like let's say Fashola or something. I remember looking at his... Yeah, he graduated from Ibubi and the year mm-hmm. he went to University of Benin. And I was just thinking, ah, but that's the year this thing happened. Like, you know, when you put it in the historical mm-hmm. context of like the time, yeah. I was just like, ah, Omo. <laughs> and it's crazy to me that like some people still grow up and buy into the idea of Nigeria. Mm. Like it must actually take to some degree a very strong optimism that, mm-hmm. I, that I, I never really particularly paint their generation as optimistic but i mean it's always it does optimism is the word it's about what nigeria could be mm. as opposed to what it is mm. but the thing is when you look at what it's been it makes it hard to see what it could be mm. well, like the foundation is so rotten it kind of makes the foundation you is definitely rotten it, you know what? What country does it have a pretty nasty foundation? If we're being honest, that that's fair. A country is a geographical expression of war and colonization. That's that's all the country is. That is, wow. Yeah, man. Where's that from? Deep, deep inside. Full subsidy removal. Um, everything at the market tripling. I've been having some crazy thoughts lately. Well, yeah, that's that's from deep inside. That's that's no, that's that's you. That's, that's me. That's me. That's it. That's a TMT original. Oh, oh baby! <laughs> and you guys will be calling me the intellectual on this podcast. It's Tim Taro. It's Tim Taro. I'm just fronting. It's just supper. Supper makes everybody intellectual. Do you think? I think like you can't create good art if you are beautiful. Yeah, it's not possible. <laughs> like you must be hungry. It's not possible. Like you must have some type of like. I saw this. I saw this tweet that said that they say make I cut my coat to my side. I don't cut them. Tibu now come slim fit up for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I have never seen something that rings so true. Mm. Because I don't know if people around me are living fake lives or people around me are just like really wealthy. But like uh, it's 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 an odd. It's truly it's a truly odd combination of both. Because okay, I like I honestly sometimes cry over just like finances, but it would be the most bizarre thing that 
trip me up. And I think like, obviously this, this podcast is always going to expose me for just being a member of the bourgeoisie. Like these Twitter intellectuals will attack me now. But like, mm-hmm. I was looking at a dress for my birthday. I wanted to buy a dress in England and, you know, tell someone to bring it home for me. And it's a 200 pound dress. And when I was in boarding school, like, that 200 pound dress was like 30k. Mm. Now it is 200k. Mm. I couldn't mentally like press that number in my head. <laughs> no, this it's is scary. just, it's, it's, it's not an expensive dress. Like, it's not like when it was, when it was 30k, it's not like it was a cheap dress. But what I'm saying is that like, it's not a, I was like, why is this dress 200k? Like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, I can't pay 200k for it. I could have paid 200 pounds for it. Mm. But there is nothing in my head that will allow me to, to, there's no even about having the money. I'm just like, bro, I would work, what was my salary in as a lawyer? <laughs> you are telling me one more salary, I will not have been able to. Like, I'm just thinking, like, how, how are people living? Because you're telling me people in, in good law firms would, would work one month to buy a house of CB dress of that year. <laughs> where, where, what? Someone will be calling me to say, I should come out. They are doing salad party in Chevron. <laughs> it's you and your family. I'm not driving there with this foil issue. <laughs> like, I'm just like, every, everything is hard. Food is expensive. I went to jet ski the other day. You know that my friend ordered lemonade. Lemonade. Jetski came and brought me bill. 11K. <laughs> they said they put rose water inside the lemonade. They put what? Rose water uh-huh. inside the lemonade. I wanted to stone. Like, I was just like, let me not even disgrace myself here. What? Imagine me drinking. 11K. That's what I call inside the drink. Sometimes lemonade. Affliction shall never rose. <laughs> lemonade of 11K. Yeah, man. I remember back... That's in- awful. That's just... Bro, like that's egregious. Bro, I was like, I'm never coming back here. You my <laughs> life, are you crazy? I remember, I remember that year, that year, and I came back tonight in like low school era when there was that lasagna in in what's that place called in Velvet for Velvet and the club when they used to still try their food thing mm. and. There was lasagna that was like mad. And I was like, if I want to splurge, I'll go and eat the child that lasagna. And that lasagna was 11K. Mm. And it was a splurge in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get back to the story. Anyways, yeah, the state state of the country and how we're living right now. <laughs> I, think I, must, I think I might have to leave Lagos for you people. Mm. We, will, we will return to long distance podcasting. I can't live like this, bruh. Anyway. I already have one foot in it by now. Well, <laughs> Bruh, it's, it's untenable. It's, it's scary. But we'll push through. Because we have no choice. And they're telling us this is the beginning. This podcast is about escapism. Okay, let's escape. We're escaping to I'm going to I'm going to read. Let me let me start with uh, Dimka's radio kini. Because <laughs> we love we we love this uh dissolved <laughs> <laughs> We love the zombie. Um, good morning, fellow Nigerians. This is Lieutenant Colonel Bukasuka Dimka of the Nigerian Army calling. I bring you good tidings. Murtala Mohammed's hypocrisy has been detected. 
His government is now overthrown by the young revolutionaries. All the Nigerian military governors have no powers over the states they now govern. The state affairs will be run by the military brigade commanders until further notice. All commissioners are sacked, except for the armed forces and police commissioners who will be deployed. All senior officers should remain calm in their respective posts. No divisional commander will will issue orders to his formations until further noticed. Any attempt to foil this plan from any quarter will be met with death. You are warned. (laughs) It is all over the 19 states. All acts of word unclear, observed will be death, I guess, treason. Mm -hmm. Everyone should be calm. Please stay by your radios for further announcements. All borders, airports, and seaports are closed until further notice. Curfew is imposed as from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Thank you. We are all together. So Dimka was like, yo, it's the young revolutionaries. The fact you... (laughs) Are they about to start clapping after that speech? (laughs) I didn't know it was like, oh, well, we'll see this too, don't worry. Mm, My cool. My cool, baby. Yeah, at this point in time, you know, his co-revolutionaries had sprayed bullets on Murtala Mohammed's official Mercedes-Benz near a petrol station opposite the federal secretary at Inikui. This is February 13th, 1976, I believe. And following the failure of the coup, Dimka and his co-conspirators were declared wanted by the military authorities immediately. Now, did you have you seen the car that they killed Murtala Mohammed in? Of course, yeah. yeah. It's like a primary school mm-hmm. staple, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you have the car that Dimka was chasing Have I seen it? No, I haven't seen the Land River, but the car where he had like so basically the crew fails. Dimka gets his car, repaints it, changes the license plate, and flees. In the evening, about two, a week later, or two weeks later, on March 4th, 1976. So, coup is February 13th. Fucking, not fucking, Imagine you are planning Val's day. Maybe you want to propose. <laughs> you have a lot of things going on. And the day before vows, they, they go and overthrow the government and declare 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. curfew. <laughs> I'll be so pissed, bro. Like, Nigeria, you're always trusting me. At least let me have vows. <laughs> so they go. And March on March 4th, a white Renault gets to Amachi in Ebony State. Well, it's, it is today in Eboin State, but then it was Igbo State because Eboin gets carved out. But the place is Afikbo and Eboin is like it used to be Abia and one other state as well. There was bits of Abia. Mm. And it was Igbo. Mm. Yeah, combined. Mm. And then you can see it was carved out of Undu. Mm-hmm. And Edo was carved out of Bendel. Do you know the, do you know the capital of Eboin State? Mm-mm. I think it's Abakaliki. Abakaliki, yeah. So, yeah, so on the day of March 4th in the evening, a white Renault car with the registration number ECC 6253 enters the premises of the Ikeni Friendship Hotel in Afikbo. 
the front number plate was dangling. The sole occupant is a well a well built man in his mid thirties, five feet six inches tall, with one deep tribal mark on each cheek. <laughs> on each cheek, he wore a traditional robe. This. I love this. I love this old journalism. You guys, I'm reading this directly. <laughs> he enters the hotel. He asks to be shown around before checking in. And so they go. He looks around the hotel. He agrees to check in. The hotel was just this bungalow, so a very small space. And he chooses a room in the back of the building. And he chooses a room without burglary proof. Most of the other rooms had burglary proof. Telling you windows. <laughs> he checked in and he said his name is Mr. C. Godwin and that he's an official of the Federal Ministry of Agriculture in Enugu. Mm -hmm. mm. Now, as you guys know, this is Dimka. Dimka is parading as a Mr. Godwin. Mr. C. Godwin. Mr. C. Godwin. <laughs> The staff of the hotel, who was about 20 at the time, t told a reporter that after checking in, the man, this Mr. Godwin, makes a request. He asked for a woman to spend the night with. So a woman was brought for him from a brothel around town. But when he saw the lady, he said he did not want an ashawo, which is a prostitute. And they were like, ah, how do you know this one is an ashawo? Is it on her face? <laughs> but... When she came out of the room, it's, she said that he knows she's an Ashawo because he has been to her brothel before and played with the ladies there. With the what? He had been to her brothel, her place of work before, and played with other ladies there. Okay. So he probably recognized her. Right. Yeah. So when he rejected her, they went to a neighboring village and brought another girl for him. And... This girl's name was called Beatrice Ugochi. And he was like, all right, Beatrice, she's, she's I, so she can stay. Now, the hotel staff hadn't recognized him. And they knew there was a coup, but they're like, they didn't really know much about the coup. You know, they, they were like, they were not paying attention. Mm. However, when he came in, like some people had actually recognized him because again his face was had been on the newspapers for days right now. Manhunts. And so the people who recognized him had reported to police that they saw someone who looked like Dimka. But a lot of people were afraid to even go to the police and say this because you cannot just say You don't know you don't know their allegiance. You not even just that also. Nigerian police are not known for really like, you don't want them to go and just get the wrong guy or just shoot, beat you, mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. you know, so... So there was there was definitely some hesitation on parts of witnesses. But, yeah, so he is with this Beatrice, and, you know, he after the, the, the girl recognizes him, he recognizes the girl, they shall tell the police that they think Dimka is at the Friendship Hotel. Not long after, the security men stormed the hotel, saying they want to know who is lodged, you know, where the rooms are. And they said, actually, we only have one guest at this time. And they asked if he was Dimka, and they said, no, this is this a Greek officer from Enugu. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, let's see the guy. So they went and they knocked on his door. And when the lodger asked who was knocking, 
they he was told that oh some people want to see him and he said okay i'll come and see you guys like i'm just about to enter the shower and they waited for him for some time and he didn't come out so they went and surrounded the building and then knocked on his door again after waiting for a while without answer they found they forced the door open they broke into the room and they found the lady beatrice seating like seated on the bed and they asked where's the guy you're supposed to be with and she pointed at the back bathroom they opened it they knocked knock knock he didn't open they busted the bathroom door down guess what he's out the window my man had escaped through the bathroom window come on he had jumped out the window he said let me let me take a quick shower <laughs> i'll be right back like you know nigerian police if you feel like interesting <laughs> you're looking for the guy who just killed the head of state and you think this man might be it mm. like and i don't know if this is a sign of good police work or bad police work like i feel like maybe they should have surrounded before they knocked on the door maybe. um the really horrible thing is that they just take out their frustrations on this girl, the Beatrice, who's sitting on the bed, and they beat her really, really badly. And there's a lot of confusion and panic, and they realize, like, he's gotten away on foot, and he abandoned his getaway car, which was loaded with cash. And they had no idea where he had gone. So by the time they realized this was a getaway car, there's a lot of cash in this car. Mm-hmm. They're like, it was Dev's dim car. And while they were checking all over town, he walked through the bush behind the hotel. Apparently, his plan was to enter Cameroon through Cross River States. And the thing is, during the Nigeria Biafra Civil War, Dimka had been like in this Afikpo place in Ebony State. So he knew the area very well. Mm. Like he was there during the Civil War. Um, but yeah, so he does escape. He's obviously, he's later, he's caught a couple of hours later. But was it, let's say a couple of hours later. He's caught a couple of hours later. And on Saturday 15th of May, 1976, he is, executed by firing squad in Kirikiri. Uh, you live by the gun, you die by the gun. Yeah. Yeah. Live by the gun, you die by the gun. I mean, it's, it's the Dimka coup is sometimes, sometimes seen as a North Central coup, Middle Belt coup, particularly because, you know, in Dimka's like later confessions, which I don't know, was he interrogated probably? Was mm. it, I don't know. But he he says that the coup was especially, was like Yakubu Gowon's brainchild. Like it was Gowon who wanted. And, you know, Yakubu Gowon is a North Central guy. Mm. A lot of the guys who get executed and killed are North Central guys, mm. including our friend's grandfather. Mm. It seemed like they killed kin of Gowon. And at this point in time, Gowon was in London and Britain refused to extradite him. Mm-hmm. And Gowon was actually, had close relationships with some British diplomats who wanted him to be in power, obviously for their own personal interests. Obviously. So this coup, that's why I say, like, some people say it's not fair to say it's the Dimkaku. Mm. Is it the failed Gowon coup? You know, is it blah, blah, blah. Like, but Gohan is later 
exonerated and so he can come back to the country and then I think it was IBB that returned his his title because they stripped him of his like his title while he was wanted and in England. But yeah, so Gomo was in England and actually after they had made that after Dimka had made that announcement, he had actually sent message through British diplomats to warn that he should head to Togo and wait for like for the instructions on like, you know, how he'll come back come in and take power. Um in the former governor of Benway and Plateau State, um Joseph Gomwalk was also executed by firing squad along with Dimka but a lot of the people who were executed at that period in time were not central minorities so they're northerners but they you see this is this country our problems and our complexities mm. yeah that is that is the episode after Dimka's execution Obasanjo made a nationwide broadcast saying we have now substantially disposed of the major issues arising from the coup attempt. Yes. Nice. So, now, um, that's today's episode. Oh my God, I just got deja vu, but like bad deja vu. Oh my God, I just got bad deja vu. What the hell? Like scary. Yes. Anyways, I got most of this from, you know, accounts... Newspaper articles, Dawoodoo. Dawoodoo is probably my favorite Nigerian history blog. Mm. Um, thank you, everyone who's listened to us. Thank you, everyone who enjoyed this podcast. Please remember to subscribe. Subscribe. Follow us on Instagram. Share. 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 Please. Sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. Um, please remember to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. Please remember to share with your friends, your family members, your enemies, your co-workers, your aunts and uncles who might enjoy Nigerian history. And we hope you guys have a lovely week. Bye.